If you're going to accidentally have a large pocket knife in your suitcase when you go through TSA, <laughs> maybe make sure it's not in the pocket with your under things. <laughs> That's exactly right, <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers. He's the boss and we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I are back home in Norman, Oklahoma, after being away a month in New England. Missy, good to be home. It is good to be home. I'm, I'm excited to sleep in our bed tonight. Yeah. Something we've not, or actually, I'm, I'm excited to have my own pillow back tonight. That's that's the bigger thing. <laughs> now, you know what's fascinating to me? Okay. We were up in New England, Vermont. I mean, we could throw a rock, we could see Canada from, from our, our window. window. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know, and it was cold up there. We got some snow, but we come back to Norman, Oklahoma. It's, so it's colder, colder here. here. <laughs> it's so much colder here. Our houses just are not made to to heat like they are in New England. So even though it was freezing outside, we were always real cozy, warm inside. Yeah, it really is. So. You come back here and I'm I'm dying. My toes are frozen. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways. A little crazy. Isn't it? Uh, so this episode is a little different. Yes, a little different. Um, our listeners are, are going to be forced to just listen to us this time. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks to, uh, you know, weather delays, flight cancellations, and having to reschedule guests. Because it was a little bit of a traverse to get uh, from it, New England back home. It was. I mean, it, it's, it is what it is. Traveling. Well, I mean, we, had, we had a nice little stop. We're going to talk about this later on the pod. We had a little nice little stop in Boston. We did. We did. Stay and, tuned for some fun little stories. Yeah. And then we got on our flight to come home thinking, you know, oh, just in a matter of moments, we're going to be back in our cozy house. No. Charlotte said, nope. no. No. <laughs> so we got stuck in Charlotte for a night. That wasn't fun. Yeah. Might not have been the best roommate that night. <laughs> <laughs> Missy, want to go out to dinner? No. No. I it's 4.30, Missy. <laughs> a little cranky. Um, anyway, so we are going to just catch up. We're going to kind of uh, talk about our, our travels home, talk about some a little bit of Boston history and some things that are going on in the world. So we hope you enjoy, and we will be back with a guest next week. Yeah, it's going to be a little different episode, but I hope you're going to like it. Absolutely. Enjoy. <laughs> Hey listeners, check us out online at goodfaithmedia.org and follow us on social at gfmedia.org. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'm new here and could really use the feedback, but only if it's glowing. Thanks for listening. Well, we're back home, Missy, back in the Sooner State. We are back. We haven't yet even slept in our own bed, but I'm very excited for that. I did not think we were going to get here, but here we are. I didn't either. We had quite a travel adventure, as is usually the case. But um, I I will say this, um, a travel, maybe not pro tip, is that if you're going to accidentally have a large pocket knife in your suitcase when you go through TSA... <laughs> 
Maybe make sure it's not in the pocket with your under things. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> crocodile Dundee. Missy <laughs> <laughs> you know, takes her crocodile Dundee knife with her just in case, you know, the murderer in Vermont no, was looking out. It after. wasn't my knife. It was your knife, but it happened to get tossed in the zipper pouch with my Unmentionables. <laughs> Unmentionables. And so the young TSA agent and I had a very awkward few minutes while he was unzipped. He, he unzipped the, the pocket that the knife was in and he saw what was in there and immediately zipped it back up. And then, bless his heart, he tried every other zipper pocket before he realized he was going to have to dig through my underwear to get to the knife. He unzipped it, saw it, zipped it up, put another pair of gloves on yeah. and then went for the night. I didn't know if you noticed that. I, I was not. I was mortified. He was pretty embarrassed. No, I was pretty I just, ticked off losing my knife. I know you were <laughs> mad about that, which was sort of my fault. But in any case, it was a funny moment. So pro tip, if you're going to accidentally have a blade in your carry-on luggage, maybe not put it in with your underwear <laughs> or do, I don't know. I mean, you just yeah. didn't enjoy the moment. Yeah, so, absolutely. There we are. So anyways, we, uh, traveled back from Lincoln, Vermont yes. and we, we spent a month planes, talking car, about planes, trains, and automobiles to get here. Yeah. We, we spent the month talking about Lincoln and what a, a beautiful community, uh, it is and just really enjoying that sort of, um, I don't know you do call it rural. Mountainous. Oh yeah, it's I mean, mountainous, not, rural. It I mean, it's just it's just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, so I very few we, people. Sorry, I think we missed an opportunity here. What's that? Do you remember back in the day when you were in elementary school and you had jogathon or jump rope for heart or whatever, and it's like if you ran X amount of miles and you get people to sign up to give you like you know a quarter per lap or whatever, then you collect when yeah. you do that. I think we should have had pledges for how many times we were going to say it's so beautiful. <laughs> It's so beautiful. Well, according we, to our social media following, people got a little tired of hearing that. <laughs> probably. Because we, no, we would say it to each other. We would just walk outside or drive down the road. And that's all we would say the whole time. It's so pretty. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. So if we had had pledge cards, can you imagine the money we could have raised for oh, Good Faith Media? Absolutely. Yeah. So right. I think we missed an opportunity. We did miss an opportunity. However. Yes. As much as we have just bragged on this town and this community of Lincoln, Vermont, mm -hmm. We then went back to the big city for a couple of nights, our favorite city of Boston. Boston. And we spent two it days. It was wicked great. Just traversing <laughs> the city that we love. And I have to tell a story that I don't know if you noticed, but I've been saving it. Oh, please do tell. So as much as we, uh, like I said, the community in, in Lincoln, how they just, anything we needed, they were Johnny on the spot. Everything was there. They just shirt off the Including back. a pet mouse. That was amazing. Oh, and, yes, including a pet mouse. <laughs> By the way, trapped. we let the mouse have the house. We yeah, let, we just decided it's yeah. his house. Yeah, we weren't going to catch him. Nope. I mean, he outsmarted us. I fed him every night. He ate well. It, he, it was like the buffet. It I mean, was. he was like, this is like the first buffet. Yeah. This is great. Mm -hmm. Anyways, we let him have the house. So... We were walking through Boston and, you know, the big city gets a bad rap or whatever for being, you know, people are rude or whatever. And we were walking down kind of a, not an alley, but, you know, a little walkway between two buildings. And I happened to overhear. I think that is the definition of an alley. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. 
but go ahead. Anyways. Okay. So we're walking through an alley right there. It's in the freedom trail. And, um, I overhear a conversation between two gentlemen and one gentleman, one man has asked another man, he's like, Hey man, you got a cigarette? Because everybody smokes in Boston. Everybody does. And so some of them even smoke cigarettes. Anyways, <laughs> so and this guy, you could tell he's kind of taken aback. And then he was like, oh, yeah, sure. So he gave this guy a cigarette. And then he said, and do you need a light as well? And I just, that warmed my heart. <laughs> I just thought, here they are. What's this? What's the Bible? Is it in this uh, the the Beatitudes? He's going the extra distance. I mean, he was the good Samantha. Semantic? (laughs) Semantic. 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 Okay. But it was just the what? What's the verse of the Bible where Jesus says, "If someone you know asks you for your cloak, give them your something as well." What is this? Yeah. Uh, you're supposed to help me here. You no, I'm going to let you. You're going to let, let me flounder? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> such I a, like the misty interpretation. Go ahead. It was such a <laughs> what would Jesus do moment. Not only would he give you a cigarette, but he would also <laughs> offer you a light. <laughs> Oh, I'm not sure that's a Jesus moment, but I, I get your point. Am I wrong? He sure would have. I I don't smoke or advocate for that, but I mean, it was just, it was such a sweet, like, moment. I know this is I so ridiculous. I actually did see that happen, and I didn't, I didn't hear about the, I didn't hear the guy offer the light, but I thought that was And cool the other moment. guy said, oh man, no, that's okay, I got a match or whatever, but yeah. it was just, it was a really... Um, I don't know, just a sweet encounter uh, to I to mean, experience. And, yeah, I mean, right there on the Freedom Trail, the home of, you know, liberty and democracy, you're just uh, thrilled about guy bumming a cigarette. I just thought it life. was an, another display of community. Like, we've talked about sure. the community in a small town, in a smaller environment, and I thought this was just, this was think, just yeah, a Boston show that, of community. I do think that is a good point, is that, uh, you know, no matter where you are, if you're in Lincoln, Vermont, or Boston, Massachusetts, there is community, and we all need community, and it is something that I think we all crave, and when we experience it, we all appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so I don't know, about that same time we were passing through that same alleyway, it's it's the, the subway stop there at the, the Orange Line and the State Building. Yeah, it's the State Building. Right there the, uh, the, ba- uh, the Baptist. The Baptist. It could the be Boston the Baptist. Massacre the Boston Massacre. Okay, so there's a subway yeah. stop in now inside that building you walk by. So when we walked by that building, and I'm going to em- embarrass myself by admitting this, but you know when you walk by those subway entrances and the gush of wind comes mm-hmm. out from the subway yeah. and the smell, and it was like, oh, <laughs> Oh, nothing like urine in the morning. (laughs) I will be honest. When we left Lincoln, Vermont, and we stood on the porch, or I stood on the porch for the last time, and I just just breathed in. I thought, I'm going to miss the smell of the fireplace and the snow and all of these things. And I was just so sad to leave it. And then the moment, like, the subway smell hit me. (laughs) It was kind of like that same feeling when you go into grandma's house and, you know, the smell hits you and you're just like, oh, I'm home. It was that kind of a thing. Oh, my gosh. So that's kind of embarrassing. But you'll be glad to know I'm at home in both places. (laughs) (laughs) That is comforting. (laughs) Anyway, so during our time in Boston, we hit all of our favorite historical spots, mm-hmm. all of our favorite food spots. I don't, I'm embarrassed to say how many cannolis I ate <laughs> in two days. Yeah. Um, but. And a pro tip, a Boston pro tip. 
If you're going to go for cannoli, I know, I know you're going to want to go to Mike's. No, modern. Go to modern, modern. every time. Trust Absolutely. us on that one. Absolutely. And also, pro travel tip, you can go through TSA with a box of cannolis and a Subway sandwich, a sub sandwich from Monica's. Yes, you can. Mercado. <laughs> so, anyways. Um, so, another favorite spot that we visited in Boston mm-hmm. that you always enjoy going to are the statues of Mary Dyer and Anne Hutchison. Mm-hmm. And I thought our listeners might not all know who they are. You might enjoy sharing the story of Anne yeah, Hutchison you know what again, one of my favorite things to do is to go to these monuments and these historical places and just remember and reflect about what happened at the beginning of this country and all of its just all of its nuances, all of its struggles, all of its imperfections, as great as we are, our democracy was born through a very, very difficult time. And so the Boston Massacre, for example, we've already mentioned that. One of my favorite things to do more recently is to walk the Black Freedom Trail, which is, or Black mm-hmm. Heritage Trail, which is remarkable. We encourage you to do that as well. But every time I go up to the state uh, house there and I stand in front of the statues of Anne Hutchinson and Mary Dyer. And which, Anne Hutchinson, no. Anne Hutchinson. She came first? She came first. Okay, and yeah. then Mary Dyer yeah. kind of followed Anne her. Hutchinson was a Puritan in England. Her dad was an Anglican minister over there. He was a rebel rouser. In fact, uh, got uh, sentenced or got uh, convicted of heresy, sentenced for three years in uh, uh, in home jail, I guess is what you would say. House uh, arrest. House arrest That's for three word. years, yeah. yeah. And anyway, he was a kind of a rebel rouser. Anyway, long story short, uh, Anne makes her way over uh, to Boston uh, with uh, Winthrop, John Winthrop and John Cotton, and really is a student and supporter of John Cotton and a more rigid type of theology. And remember, she's a Puritan and she's supporting Puritan theology. But Anne also had the audacity to begin preaching herself. And apparently she was really good at preaching and teaching. And she was also a healer. And she spoke about the importance of one's relationship with God and how God can heal the body and the soul. And she eventually began preaching a gospel that proclaimed that salvation came through one's relationship with God and did not necessarily depend upon one's relationship with the church. Mm. Well, you can imagine how uh, well church leaders took that message. Winthrop and Cotton turned on her. And when they turned on her, they turned on her really, really bad and started to persecute her uh, charged her with heresy, convicted her of heresy, banished her from the Massachusetts, Massachusetts Bay Colony. Um, she went and spoke with Roger Williams at the time. Williams had already been banished. He had, uh, A hero of yours. Yeah, another hero of mine. He had already established Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, so she goes to Williams. Williams encourages to go to this, uh, this uh, Rhode Island territory, and she establishes Portsmouth. And 
then she still wants to go back to clear her name. She's still a Massachusetts girl at heart, a Boston girl at heart. And so she goes back to try to clear her name. Once again, uh, she is ostracized and banished again, goes back to Williams, and then he tells her that she probably really needs to flee and go elsewhere. Uh, And then Williams dies, and then Winthrop and Cotton are telling everybody that Massachusetts Bay Colony is going to take over the Rhode Island territories. And so, and then ends up going to what is now present day New York. And it's there where she has a terrible encounter with indigenous communities down there. And she is killed by uh, some tribes there in the New York area. And so it was just, it's just a, a story that reminds us about the significance of women in this country and the founding of this country and their fight and struggle for religious liberty, for their fight and struggle to be ministers uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she's just a remarkable woman. But she also inspired another young woman who was an Anglican at the time, Puritan, and her name was Mary Dyer. And so she knows Anne, and she begins to follow Anne and is a student of Anne. But Mary takes it a step further. She was a little more. She was a little bit. I don't know, Red, but I just picture her <laughs> as a, a little bit more of a rebel. She yeah. was a little bit more of a rebel. Yeah, yeah. So she begins to teach as well and begins to preach. And um, again, she finds herself in trouble and she ends up being sent back to England. Well, it's there she joins the Shaker movement, which is the Quaker movement. And the Quakers began to preach a gospel of inner light, that if you were quiet, the Holy Spirit would speak to you, and a new revelation could come to you through the Holy Spirit. And so she began to preach this gospel. Well, she makes her way back to Boston. Um, you know, Cotton and Winthrop again, you know, throw up shade, and they began to prosecute, persecute her, prosecute her, charge her for heresy. Uh, there's some give and take. None of this is a long story, folks. But eventually what ends up happening is Mary comes back to clear her name. They arrest her. And on June the 1st, 1660, I believe. I have to get that date I right. I don't know. She is hung. Okay, wait, but you forgot. She was sentenced to hang before that. Yes. And her times. son, I think was able to talk her out of that. And they, they were like, fine, we won't hang you, but you've got to get out of town. You got to get out of town. Yeah. So she gets out of town and then she keeps coming, coming back. back. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand this about her. I, I just don't. But, um, she, she kept coming back. And, and my favorite part of the story is that she would walk up and down the streets. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to tell that, but you go you right ahead. You weren't going to. This no, is you the, tell whole, the whole fun part of the story is that she would walk up and down the streets naked preaching. <laughs> this is another thing that obviously did not sit well Quakers were, you with know. Um, the authorities. <laughs> Again, so they were she a rebel rousers. She uh, came back for, I think, a a sec, maybe even a third time, and they were like, "Okay, we're done with you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're over it." <laughs> and sadly, she was hanged there yeah. in the Boston Commons. Yeah. And so her her statue it was on was, June first, sixteen sixty. She was hung yeah. there at the Boston Commons. And again, just a reminder that our freedom was not free, and religious liberty was not given to us, but it was bought by 
the blood of those who came before us. Absolutely. They're two incredible women. Yep, absolutely. Um, and also Anne Hutchinson's father, who insisted that she learn to read. Yes. Which set her on a course for this, which goes to show by teaching girls to read, it just ruins all y'all's fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when I, you know, when I, we were talking about this earlier, and when you said that, I was reminded of Malala. Wait, well, I'm, I'm all for women's education. <laughs> no, it was, it was a joke. I was reminded of Malala, and, you know, she often mm-hmm. would say, you know, the most dangerous thing to patriarchy is an educated woman. And that's why she advocates for women, uh, you know, for girls to, mm-hmm. uh, for girls' education around the world. And, and I'm just reminded of the power of uh, the female mind, the female uh, conscience, that women, since the beginning of time, have been changing this world for the better and something we need to celebrate. I agree. And I I think we forget sometimes how, I mean, maybe in America we take the fact that that girls get to go to school, you know, for granted, but in, in other parts of the world, that's still not a given. And can you imagine, you know, where our country would be without women like Ann Hutchinson and Mary Dyer? And, and one of them, I, I forgive me, I can't remember which one you were talking about the female mind. And, you know, we, we talk often about uh, women's intuition, you and I do. And one of them, uh, I think it was Ann Hutchinson said that she felt like the voice of God was the intuition. Mm-hmm. And so that was, of course, also controversial. Sure. But I, I really believe that. I feel like sometimes that intuition is just, is that still small voice of God? Mm-hmm. And um, so they, they were quite revolutionary and, and, you know, greatly affected the trajectory of, of our, our country and religious freedom. Yeah, 100%. Anyways, thank you for that history lesson. Yeah, well, thanks for just reminding me of it, and thanks for uh, you know, amusing me as we walk through the commons every time we go to Boston, and I have to go see all the statues. It's it's always fun. It's become it's become just such something we do and we enjoy doing. And we got ten miles in that day. We I did, think, yeah. As we walked, we so. had to because we had so many cannolis. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So I think. Um, we did not talk about this last week. Uh, again, um, we recorded before mm-hmm. the the video came out, but um, the video of Tyree Nichols has since been released. And I, as much as I don't, I don't want to talk about it. it we need to talk about it. Everybody sure. needs to talk about it. Um, I have not watched the video. I've seen lots of discussion and, about whether we should or not. And I feel like I have not watched it, but also feel bad because that's coming from a point of privilege that that's just, it's something that Mm -hmm. I'm not faced or forced to see in my community. Um, I do not judge anybody for watching it or for not watching it. But one of the things that I'm reminded of every time one of these videos surfaces, I always go back to Emmett Till's mama. Mm-hmm. And when Emmett Till was lynched down in the South and beaten almost unrecognizable, and when he was found, his mama decided to have an open casket because she wanted the world to see, she wanted America to see 
what those men had done to her son. And we should. We should be forced and, to see. Right. And so, again, no judgment on if you look or you don't look. But it's the act itself. It's the knowledge of knowing that there is real evil in the world. That evil afflicts real pain on real people. And that, I think, is important. At the same time, what angers me, what frustrates me, what breaks my heart, Missy, is that for every one of these videos that surfaces, how many are there that don't surface? That's what I keep thinking. And, of course, we've all heard, you know, him, that he's was crying out for his mom. And I can't imagine the ache of his mom and all the other moms out there who know that in those moments that their babies are still crying out for them. And there's nothing you can do. It's disgusting. The fact, and when we talked to, you know, Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III just last week about his book, which, um, you know, kind of the jumping off point is the letter to his son. And I, I just, I don't know how to make it better because like we talked about with, with, um, Dr. Moss last week, is that we want to say that we've made some progress. Mm -hmm. And then stories like this keep coming up and videos keep coming up. Yeah. And when, when will enough be enough? And there you have it, because I don't think it's ever going to be enough. You know, people keep saying the phrases that it's just a few bad apples or this is a, a chink in the system. This is uh, something, you know, most, you know, most everything goes well. And this is a flaw in the system that we see every now and again. Well, I think that's bogus. I think the system is acting exactly the way it's designed. Right. I mean. And that is the most frustrating part of this. Because every time this happens, we go on the air, we write columns, we march, we watch these atrocities on television, we mourn with the families until it happens again, and we do it all over. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. One of our columnists, Miguel De La Torre, often says he's tired of speaking truth to power because the powerful know what to do. And they refuse to do it. Well, they're benefiting from the system. Absolutely. And therefore, he is now speaking truth to the powerless. The only way change is going to happen in this country, the only way policing reform is going to happen in this country, is if everyone, both those who are directly uh, affected by brutal policing, oppressive of policing, and even those that don't or aren't go to the streets and demand change and go to the ballot box and demand change through the democratic process. That's the only way change is going to happen because the system is stacked against us. People of faith have to mobilize. People of faith 
have to stand up, speak out, and step forward. Or we're going to be right back here again in two months, mourning the death of another young black man at the hands of police. And that saying, it's only just a few apples, for some reason we forgot what that saying really is about. What is the saying? A few bad apples spoils the bunch. Is that what it is? Yes, it's exactly what it is. So even if it's a few bad apples, remember the saying, folks. A few bad apples spoils the bunch. And I could not get over it. You and I talked about this. The violence is just unimaginable. I just can't imagine another human doing that to another human being. Mm -mm. But those standing around Mm -hmm. as though this is just another night in Memphis. That is what was appalling. Nobody, no other officer, no other ambulance worker, nobody stepped in to tell these people, you're wrong. Yeah. You are wrong and stop it. I'm going to follow the investigation. I'm super curious because I, I want to get, I, I, like I asked you, I'm like, what these police officers, I mean, ones who do have, you know, bad intentions or who are, you know, inherently the bad apples or whatever. So used to, you could get away with things and not be on video. But the fact that these officers still feel empowered to act in this manner when they know there's likely going to be a video of this event and they still continue to do this. This is what baffles me. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I would hate to think that any human would be um, inclined to do the right thing because they're being watched. To me, you should do the right thing even when you're not being watched. But But, <laughs> but it seems like to me, if I know a camera's on me, I might act differently. That's what's so baffling to me. And like you said, the sheer number of people who it took for this to happen and the beating. I mean, let's be honest, the body can withstand a lot and and survive, maybe not be the same and have issues ongoing, but the body can withstand a lot. This man died yeah. three days later of, of, from this beating. What <laughs> in the world that had to look like and be like? Right. I, I just can't imagine. And I do want to say this. Even though the saying is a few bad apples spoils the bunch, I want to define the bunch as the entire system of policing because I do know that there are good men and women out there serving their communities with honor. One of them was the former chief of police here in Norman. After the death of Michael Brown, we had a city meeting with the clergy and local leaders, and he was there. And Chief Humphreys, Humphreys was just remarkable. And he outlined some of the most dramatic moments in policing that changed everything. And one of them was so simple, but just blew my mind away. So the worst thing that ever happened to policing was the police automobile. Because it took police off the streets. They stopped being in their communities talking to people on their beats, visiting with them, chatting with them, and put them in a car where the only time they interacted with the community was in stressful moments. Mm-hmm. We've got to figure out a way to reform policing because there's got to be a better way to do it. There's just got to be. 
because this cannot go on any longer. And for it to happen in Memphis, it just reminded me blocks away right. from where MLK was killed. And you just think, well, I think he would have hoped that we would have had come further. And I think in, in many ways we have a hope that we have and made progress. But I think he would have hoped this had not still been going on. You know, Otis talked to us last week, uh, Reverend Moss talked to us last week about redirecting or rechanneling our anger, rechanneling our energy. He's way better than I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just thinking about that now when all I want to do is yell and scream and write nasty things on our website. I've got to figure out how, how can we be more productive? Right. How can we bring about positive change? And Dr. King certainly inspires me to do that. We and need to go back and re-listen to Dr. Moss's book yeah, we real do. quick. But yeah. yes, but we did, speaking of Dr. King, add another um, stop on our kind of Boston, I think we'll become our regular visit. Absolutely, 100%. Um, this, the new statue that's now in the Boston Commons, and I don't remember what it's, it's called. called. The Embrace. The Embrace. And it was revealed uh, last week uh, in the Boston Commons uh, there's a lot of criticism of the statue uh, I read just a moment ago on, on Boston.com. Uh, a lot of questions about it, uh, even from the uh, King family. Um, but as the artist and as other artists interacted with the statue in the commons, as we did, it is amazing, Missy. It I. Wasn't sure what to expect, but just walking I mean, up to it. If it, I would have seen, if I saw the picture in the newspaper, I saw it on television. Yeah. And I, I kind of scratched my head too about, you know, tell me a little it's bit more strange. about this. But seeing it in person is just remarkable. It does kind of take you aback. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. an incredible piece of art. It's very moving. Um, I'd encourage anybody who's in that the area detail to go see it. of Dr. King's hand and Coretta's hands embracing one another. And. It is a spousal embrace, but it's so much more. It was very powerful. It's the King family, the legacy of Dr. King and Coretta embracing their country. And we saw a memorial there, several memorials there for... For Tyree. For Tyree. They had skateboards out and candles and flowers and just the the imagery of that at the same time because we were there just after um the video was released yeah. and and I, and I just think from Emmett Till to Tyree at their moments and all of those in between oh my gosh all of those in between those moments before their death all probably just wanted one last embrace from their mom Mm -hmm. or their dad or their wife or their kid. And I really think the statue in the Boston Commons is going to become one of the most visited statues in the country for that very reason. 
It's definitely one you and I will visit again and again. Absolutely. It's, it's quite powerful. And I hope that the next time we go, that there's not a memorial to someone else. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, I hope. That's my hope. Yeah. So as we end this episode, I just want to remember Tyree, his family, all the other victims of violence in this country at the hands of evil, and just ask everybody to not only bow your heads in prayer, but also stand up, speak out, and step forward, because we are the only ones who can bring about change. So let's get to work. There's a lot of work to be done. You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org. <laughs>